Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, March 12th, 2017. Happy Selection Sunday. Duke is a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. They are also the ACC champions. The podcast favorite Northwestern Wildcats made the field. There's a lot we have to get to talk to, but first let's introduce everybody before we jump into everything. I am your host this week, Sam Klein. I am uh, calling from Denver, Colorado. I am joined by Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know how we're going to talk about all this stuff and keep this to less than an hour. It's it's going to be a huge podcast. We're, we're, we're not going to. Um, and in, <laughs> Washington, in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. So as, as everybody knows, today is the day that uh, daylight savings time happens, so we lost an hour of sleep. But you know what? I woke up this morning, and you know what I felt like? I like it. I like it. Very nice. Yeah, I felt like a champion today. So how about you guys? I felt like a zombie because I got about three hours of sleep last night. Yeah, <laughs> after that Notre Dame game, I, I, it took me a couple hours to come down. Um, I'll tell you, so I had a ton of fun watching the games because I would watch them. And then my son, who's off at college, um, was back in town. And he loves watching Duke games with me. So he was, but he was out at night or he was doing something else. He was busy. So I would watch the game and then my son would get home and we would watch the game again a second time. And, you know, with me pretending like I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, it, it was just, a, it was a good time. It was a really good time. Well, so let's, so let's get right into it. We'll start, we'll, we'll, we'll go chronologically here. We're going to start today with the ACC tournament. And then once we're done with the ACC tournament, we'll move on to, Duke's place in the bracket. We'll talk about the East region where Duke is, where Duke was placed. And then we'll kind of do our overall thoughts on the rest of the bracket. I don't remember how we did this in years past specifically, but I think this is, it'll be as logical as we can keep it here, given how many things we had to talk about. So um, Jason, since you were already offering up the way that you so diligently watched the ACC tournament, why don't you start us off? I'll quickly recap. So Duke beat Four teams. This is the first time in ACC history that a team has won four games to win the the ACC tournament. Keeping in mind that for many years, no one nobody played four games. But um, so Duke beat Clemson, Louisville, UNC, and Notre Dame. Uh, among those teams, Duke had previously lost to both U- Louisville and UNC in their most recent matchups. They had tough games against Clemson and Notre Dame earlier in the season. So Jason, why don't you just tell me about? what you saw from Duke this week in their four wins, uh, capturing their first ACC title since 2011. Well, first of all, I think that uh, anytime Duke is down double digits in the second half, uh, Duke fans will not worry very much. We were down 61 to 49. That's 12 points when we played Louisville with 13 minutes to go. And we were down 61 to 48. Um, That's 13 points when we played UNC, also with 13, 13 and a half minutes to go. And, and, and uh, even though we led most of the first half against Notre Dame, a very different field of that game than the, the previous two, against Notre Dame, we were down, I want to say, six or seven points um, uh, in the second half with about eight or ten minutes to go. I forget the ex- – I didn't write down the exact numbers and the such from that game. But it's, it's kind of remarkable how – uh, as you get closer and closer to crunch time, this Duke team steps up and uh, and asserts themselves and is able to enforce their will upon the game, which is what happened against Louisville, what happened against Carolina, and what happened against Notre Dame. Uh, and the guy who did the enforcing for the most part was Jason Tatum. Uh, I-, I thought he was 
absolutely incredible in this ACC tournament. For, for him to be able to take over games the way he does against really high quality, you know, some of the best defensive players in the country uh, is, is just remarkable. And I thought he was, he was, he was great. I, I, I believe Luke Kennard won the, the, player, uh, the player of the tournament, the, the all-tournament all player, whatever, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, I, I think that was a crime. Um, Kennard was great. Kennard, you know, carried Duke at times. I thought Jason Tatum was the best player in the ACC tournament. Not just the best player in Duke, the best player on any team in the ACC tournament. Um, and I don't, and think that, I don't think that you were you're alone in, in sharing that opinion um, because I saw a lot of commentators say that Kennard, Kennard probably was the second best player in the tournament behind Tatum and that maybe I saw one suggestion that maybe the um, maybe the vote for Kennard was a referendum on the fact that he maybe deserved to be ACC player of the year over Justin Jackson, which I think is kind of a different, kind of a different tangent, right? But by the way, I, I love the fact in the Carolina game, one of the key stats I noted, uh, the, the two all ACC, first team all ACC players in that game, Justin Jackson and Luke Kennard, Justin Jackson scored 16 points, but it took him 22 shots to get there. That's not good. Luke Kennard scored 20 points, it only took him seven shots to get there. Now, that part of that's because Kennard was filling it up at the free throw line, but uh, the, the contrast in efficiency was a major theme, I thought, in that game. Um, uh, Jay Billis in the broadcast in the Carolina game kept on talking about the lines and Duke winning the lines, and he meant the three-point line and the free-throw line, and Duke was dominant in both of those places, and those are the places where you get efficiency from. You know, in recent years, uh, people who study basketball, people who study college basketball have begun to really embrace, you know, Ken Pomeroy and this notion of efficiency and efficient shots. And it's not just about, you know, when you score, it's about the ways you score and whether you're doing it in efficient ways. And the free throw line and the three-point line are the two most efficient ways to to score points. And Duke excelled at both of those throughout most of this tournament. Hey, I'm going to I'm going to pass it over to Donald for a minute because I think we're going to probably come back. I'm not going to I'm not going to say everything I had on the tournament at this point. But so, Donald, let me go over to you. What, what, what did you think was the best game um, in the ACC tournament? I thought the best game that we played, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I think the best complete game we played was against Clemson. I thought we played very well there. But I think the best moments that we had was that second half against Louisville. And I think that is what kind of set the, the, the tone for us to tell the rest of the nation, hey, these Blue Devils might be someone you want to think about when it comes to the NCAA tournament, because that was a strong second half. I think I, I agree with you guys. I think I think Jason Tatum was the player of the tournament. I think he was the MVP. I don't think it was as large a discrepancy between him and Luke Kennard as a lot of some a lot of the writers were saying. Um, I thought Luke Kennard had a tremendous tournament as well, and and I'm not entirely uh, overly upset that he won MVP. I just think personally that it was Jason Tatum that set the tone and really was the best player in the tournament. Um, but I think Luke Kennard had a hell of a tournament as well. I think with Louisville, with North Carolina, and with Notre Dame, what I saw was a team that did not give up, that did not quit. And in the second half, they found something that I don't think we've seen from this Duke team all year. Um, whatever that was, uh, I love that we've had it the last few days because, you know, especially against Louisville, we were down, I think, 13 points at one point. Um, or I'm sorry, that was against UNC. I think we were, all, we're down 12 against Louisville and, and down eight against Notre Dame. And each time, there was a point where earlier in the season, if that had happened, we would have said, well, this game is done. 
Um, these guys can't come back. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. Uh, good job, good effort. But these guys somehow crept back. It was, you know, they passed the ball around. We didn't have a lot of assists, but, you know, there were assists that came at opportune times. Finding open men for the, for the layup or for the dunk, uh, finding guys for a three-point shot, creating a shot in the lane, getting in ones, making our free throws. We did everything that we needed to do to win this tournament. And against teams that before the tournament, everybody was chalking up to being surefire number one, number two, number three seeds in the NCAA tournament. So I think that is what you want. The big takeaway from all these four days is that this team, whether we were up 12 or we were down 12, we played hard and we played every single second. And as we crept back, we believed in ourselves. And I think that this team uh, really showed a lot uh, from me and, and really the rest of the nation, because a lot of people, you know, they said, I mean, even if you we're going to talk about the NCAA, NCAA tournament in a minute, but I think they, noted no matter where you thought that Duke was going to be slotted that we moved up the most of any team this week and I think that is a surefire way to say that we played our asses off this week and I think that showed and that's why we have an ACC championship in our locker room also finally before I kick it back to you guys I think the one thing that I'm overly happy about is that Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones walk out of Duke with an ACC title it's the one thing that really they had left to do uh, other than win a second NCAA championship, which we can hopefully do this year. Um, but I think the fact that they are able to walk out of here with an ACC title that is much deserved for these guys, is much deserved for this coaching staff who really outcoached everybody in the AC- ACC um, during this tournament. And I think that is the major takeaway from this, is that these guys deserved this. They played like they wanted it. And when they were down, they didn't quit on themselves. They didn't quit on each other, and they didn't quit on us. Um, and I think that's the reason why we have an ACC championship. That's, that's a really great um, point to bring up, Donald. I, I like that. I, I wanted to add that um, one of the things that I, I enjoyed the most about this ACC championship run was the way that Duke played defense in the moments when it mattered. And this year, I think the defense, you guys will probably agree, has been inconsistent. Um, some guys are 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 fine on defense. Some guys have had lapses. The you know it's it's especially hard for the younger guys, um, particularly when they're coming off injuries like Giles and and Tatum, um, to really get in the flow defensively. I think that Duke show every guy who was in the rotation. So we know now that the rotation is basically um, Allen, Jackson, Kennard, Jones uh, in the you know in the in the backcourt, and then Tatum, Jefferson, Giles in the front. And I think all of those guys now have showed that they are capable of playing really, really great defense. And uh, especially in the interior, I think that the interior defense got a lot better, particularly in that second half against UNC in the first half. It was really, it was really challenging for, for Duke's bigs um, to contain the the ball coming inside. It was hard for Duke's, uh, you know, perimeter players to prevent guys from driving by them. And I think in the second half, it helped certainly that Joel Berry was sidelined for most of the half by Roy Williams wanting to play conservatively with his foul trouble. But that being said, Duke still denied a lot in the interior, and I think that that is going to be a key for them going forward. There's not a ton of depth in the front, and, and Duke's ability to play defense and lock it down against good interior teams like UNC, there's not a better, a better interior team in the country than UNC. And the fact that Duke was really able to stop that part of their game in the second half was so huge for them making the comeback and then ultimately winning the game going away. Jason, so did you have something you wanted to, to add to that? 
Yeah, I think this is the ideal moment to talk about Harry Giles. Uh, Go for it. I love it. Uh, Harry Giles <laughs> against this, UNC. This, is, this so, is the guy I wanted to talk about, so, so do it. So Dana O'Neill um, of ESPN had a... I mean, you're going to hear this tweet that she put out. You're going to go, oh, my God, that was a psychic tweet. Dana O'Neill tweeted um, with about six minutes to go in the UNC game. She said, Tatum and Jefferson both have four fouls. Folks have been waiting all year for Harry Giles to to arrive. This would be a good spot. Um, Harry Giles arrived. Uh, the next minute and a half, or actually it was really only one minute, um, of the Carolina game, it, this, I'm talking about from about the five and a half minute mark to the four and a half minute mark, Harry Giles took over the game in a way we haven't seen from him all year. We knew he was capable of this. We knew it was possible. We knew this is what he was supposed to be, and injuries had robbed him of this. And Harry Giles suddenly reminded everyone why he's been compared to Chris Weber. He he had a, a block. He blocks. Justin Jackson shot. He then races down toward the other end, and Grayson Allen throws him a lob um, that that you know tears the roof off because Giles slams it so hard. The very next possession, and that made it from 75-70 to 77-70. Then Harry Giles makes a steal, um, and in, a, a, a great steal. Uh, they then called Grayson Allen for an absurd um, offensive offensive foul which was a makeup call from a bad offensive foul they'd called earlier. Uh, and then Carolina comes down. They still have a chance. We're at about four and a half minutes left. Um, and Justin Jackson takes another shot, and Harry Giles grabs a studly rebound where he just elevated over everyone. His arms were just longer, and when he touches the ball, he, he corralled it and brought it in. Harry Giles, had that one minute, suddenly told the world, uh-oh, Harry Giles may be in flashes, in spurts, the player we thought he was going to be. And the reason Duke was supposed to be, you know, borderline undefeated this year and the prohibitive number one team was because we thought we were getting that Harry Giles. Now we haven't, but if we get those flashes from him where he, for a minute against the best big men in the country, he took over the game. If we get that kind of stuff from him in the NCAA tournament, forget about it. Forget it. Um, because I, I, I think, I think it's, it's game over. This Duke team has six more wins in them if we get that Harry Giles again for just flashes. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that the Giles revelation might, you know, sort of, sort of under the radar as much as Harry Giles can be under the radar. His, his performance can be is sort of like the under the radar best thing that happened to Duke in this ACC tournament because we know – that Jason Tatum is able to make a lot of great shots and is able to go coast to coast. We know that Luke Kennard can be really crafty with the ball and they, and both of those guys showed that, um, I, you know, obviously Emil Jefferson becoming healthy and showing off his, his whole skill set that we hadn't seen, I think, uh, until this week really in, in its entirety and, and with such force and, you know, and just him being able to do all the things that he's able to do. All those things are all, are, are things we could have seen coming uh, because we'd seen them before. I don't think we had seen any of that from Giles yet at the level that he was doing this weekend. And, and like you said, if that's, if that's real and if that's going to continue progressing, then Duke is just going to keep getting better and better. And, and they already showed that they're able to beat anybody this weekend. So uh, Donald, if you had any final thoughts on the ACC tournament, um, we can, we can finish that up and then move on to uh, next weekend, which will, which will be a fun big weekend. Yeah, so there was a stat that I had read on Twitter right before we played Louisville. Um, this was after we played Clemson. 
And it struck with me because this is, I feel like, how we beat Louisville and, and North Carolina, how we came back in the second half. It said that we had the best zone defense of any team in the country, and I think we gave up less than like 0.8 points per possession when we are in a zone. Naturally, of course, we're not in a zone defense the entire 40 minutes, but I thought that was a striking thing because I think there were times that we employed the zone defense against Louisville and more importantly against UNC where, and some, and a little bit against Notre Dame as well, but really the UNC is where the, the comeback really happened. When Joel Barry was on the bench, we went back to it. We went to a zone defense and we somehow that spurred everything. You know, it, it was something that even though a lot of teams, you know, we've, we've done the zone defense before, you know, if we recall in 2015, it was credited as being what helped spur us to the national championship. It was weird how the, the way we did it just completely put everybody on their heels. Um, and, and that is not a pun. That, that pun was not intended there. But I, I think the, the one thing about when we played UNC, when we went to that zone, they just did not have an answer for it. Same with Louisville. And that is how we crept back into those games and how we eventually pulled ahead. And that momentum it was, was all we needed to, to kind of pull away at the end. So... I'm really good with the fact that we play great defense uh, man-to-man, but the fact that we have the number one zone defense in the country, I expect to see that a lot more in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that was it was really impressive, as you pointed out. Jason, did you have anything to wrap up on the ACC tournament? So uh, while I agree that uh, what you said about Harry Giles and his uh, – that that may be the most important thing to come out of the ACC tournament for Duke is his progression. Uh, I feel like what happened in the ACC tournament that has me really positive about this team, other than winning, is uh, I am suddenly seeing a tremendous amount of versatility from this Duke team. I feel like throughout much of the season, we've we've been you know we've been counting on Kennard to do the scoring with Tatum as sort of a backup there, and uh, you know Allen had Allen had faded. Uh, Grayson Allen had faded sort of late in the season, and and it felt like you know you couldn't maybe count on him for that much. And and Matt Jones, you know, hadn't shot well for a long, long time, and you're wondering what you would get from Matt Jones. I feel like Duke got a lot of versatility in this tournament, and and by that I mean uh, look at Grayson Allen. So uh, the Clemson game may have been Grayson Allen's worst game of the whole year. Um, he only played 12 minutes. He didn't score a single point. Um, he only had one assist. Uh, he just seemed completely out of it. And you would have thought after that that, oh, he's still you know, really hurt. He's banged up, and he's just not going to become the player that we know he can. I thought that Grayson Allen then turned around. He, he was very good against Louisville, 18 points. I thought he turned around in the UNC game. He was our best player. The reason we won the UNC game was because of Grayson Allen. It was because of his three-point shooting in the first half, and it was because of his assists in the second half and the way he ran the team. Um, so, uh, you know, here, here we have Grayson Allen suddenly stepping up and becoming the player that we knew he, he can be. Um, uh, we saw Harry Giles step up um, and, and show glimmers of being the player that he can be. If you're, if you're defending this Duke team, if you're playing this Duke team, what, what are you possibly going to try to do to stop these guys? Suddenly there are a plethora of weapons. Oh, and by the way, the most important shot of the entire ACC tournament was hit by Matt Jones, who was like, I think, one or two for his past 18 from three until he buried that three-pointer, that dagger that gave Duke 
an insurmountable four-point lead with less than a minute left against Notre Dame. I, I don't know if, if I'm a team preparing for Duke and I look at the tape from these four games in the ACC tournament, I'm going to be like, I have no idea. I, yeah, how, how are you going to... Stopping Kennard and Tatum was hard enough. And suddenly it appears... And Frank Jackson, by the way, had a great ACC tournament. We haven't even talked about it. We haven't mentioned, I just mentioned his name for the first time on the podcast. I don't know what opposing teams possibly can hope to do. And, and Donald is right. The biggest difference, and it harkens back to, to 2015, the biggest difference that we're starting to see from Duke is better and better defense uh, and that zone defense that, you know, that confounds teams because they're so used to seeing Duke play man-to-man. If Duke, plays, if Duke plays good defense, it's all over, and they're winning six in a row because their offense is too versatile. There are too many weapons. Um, it's you know, impossible for other teams to really stop them. This is the team, uh, and now this, I'll close with this. This is the team that everyone feared they would see the entire year. Um, this is the number one team yeah. in the country that everybody was like, oh, man, this is the, this is the team that's going to light the world on fire. They're now seeing this in March, and I'm sure it scares them to death. So with that, let's talk about what the teams that Duke is going to see in March here. Um, so we're headed into the NCAA tournament. The brackets just came out a couple hours ago. Duke is playing, I think you mentioned this at the top, Duke is playing in the East Regional. So their first two games, if, if they have them, are in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and then if they win that, their sub-regional pod, they're going to Madison Square Garden. They're the number two seed. There was some speculation starting kind of on Friday, really picked up on Saturday when, when Duke was heading into the ACC championship and really, really was in this, the discussion Sunday morning that Duke might earn the, the fourth number one seed in this tournament, which would have been unfathomable to many of us even, even a few days ago. Um, but Duke ends up with a two seed in Villanova's region. Villanova's the, the number one overall seed. Of course, they're the reigning national champions. Uh, Duke's opening pod is against uh, their their first game is against the 15 seed Troy Trojans, and then in the second round, if they beat Troy, uh, they get either the South Carolina Gamecocks or uh, Steve Wojciechowski's Marquette uh, Golden Eagles. So uh, I'll start with with Jason. Let's talk first, kind of in general, about Duke's placement in the bracket. We'll get to the rest of the bracket when we're done with Duke. But tell me, Jason, what you think about where Duke ended up seeding wise, um, interesting matchups that you see maybe trying to get out of that region and go to the final four. So I wasn't surprised that Duke ended up in Villanova's bracket as number two in the East. That's what I sort of thought was going to happen. Um, everyone has been saying that the four number one seeds were sort of locked in place. And I, I think that the, the committee didn't want to take Carolina out of a number one seed, and, and that's really the team that they would have had to move down. It, it would have been very difficult to do anything else. Um, so I, I figured Duke was a number two, and, and the place that made the most sense for them was the East, because you don't want to take the ACC champion and ship them all the way out West. You know, our reward for winning the ACC would be to go out West. We don't want to play out West. Uh, that said, I would have kind of, I would have maybe preferred to be in the Midwest, um, uh, because I think that Villanova is deserving of being the top number one overall seed. And one thing I want to point out, you know, with this talk that Duke maybe deserved a number one 
uh, number one seed. The committee did not rate Duke as the number five team, the, the top of the number two seeds, because the committee's not allowed to put the overall number one, who is Villanova, and the top of the number twos, the number five team, in the same bracket. So they had to have Duke at number as the number six team overall. Maybe they had them as seven or eight, who knows. But they had to have them no higher um, than number six, which is a little surprising to me. I, I mean, I would imagine they had maybe Kentucky at number five or, or perhaps Arizona, probably Kentucky. Uh, so I, I think it's a tough bracket that we got. It's not an easy one. Um, uh, I, I think the West is the easiest bracket. Uh, the East and the South are about the same, and the Midwest is the toughest. Uh, it's a difficult bracket, but it, it shapes up fairly well for Duke. Um, I, I, I don't like the second round matchup against South Carolina, if that's who we get, because uh, South Carolina will essentially be playing a home game. Um, there are going to be a ton of, of UNC fans at that, uh, at, you know, in, in Greensboro, uh, I'm sorry, in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, and there are going to be a ton of South Carolina fans. Uh, so the stadium is going to be full of people who are either A, rooting for South Carolina, or B, rooting against Duke. So I'm really hoping Marquette knocks South Carolina off. Um, I like, you know, it, I, I like Duke's path to get to the final eight. I, I, I don't really see, you know, SMU or Baylor as the kind of teams that are that are going to be able to play the kind of ball to 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 beat Duke. So so I think we're in we're in pretty good shape. Did did you want me? I, I've done some research into Troy, into the Troy Trojans. Should we talk about the bracket in general before we talk in detail about Troy? Why don't you Why don't you tell us about Troy and then I'll and then I'll kick it to Donald and he can and he can kind of remark on your on your thoughts. Okay, so um, Troy is, I, I'm surprised they're not a 16 seed. I, I'm, I'm pretty surprised they, they snuck in as a, as a number 15. I think that they're probably the worst of the number 15 seeds. They're number 159 in the RPI. They're number 130 in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Uh, this is a team that hasn't played anyone close to Duke's quality. The only major conference team they played all year was Southern California, USC, and they lost 82-77. to 77. Now, that's a respectable game. They, they went to Southern Cal. They played on Southern Cal's home floor, and they only lost by five. And, and this Troy team, um, that's the only team they played that is even in the ballpark as good as, as just a routine team in the ACC. Uh, they just haven't played anyone of, of Duke's quality. Their best win is against uh, UT Arlington, University of Texas Arlington, uh, that was the best team in their conference and, and got upset early in the conference tournament. By the way, did not get upset by Troy. Troy won the, Troy won the conference tournament um, without defeating the, the best team. Um, and UT Arlington was the only top 100 team that Troy, that Troy beat. Uh, this Troy team has, they lost four times to teams outside the RPI top 200. They were only eight and 10 against teams in the RPI top 200. And pretty much all those games were against teams ranked between 100 and 200. They, you know, they're just not that good. They've got a lot of losses. Um, they're not all that deep. I'll talk about their players for a moment. They, they only go about eight players deep. Um, probably their best player is Wesley Person Jr. And if that name rings a bell, that's because Wesley Person Jr. is the son of Wesley Person, who played in the NBA for a long time. Um, uh, and Wesley Person is the brother, well, Wesley Person Jr., the player for Troy, is the nephew of Chuck Person, who's, you know, one of the all-time great Indiana Pacers. Uh, uh, so, it, you know, Wesley Person Jr. has 
some you know high quality bloodlines. He, his father and his uncle are, are are two very very good NBA players, long NBA careers, um, two of the best players in Auburn history. Um, and like his father and his uncle, uh, Wesley Jr. is a long range bomber. He attempts more than six three pointers a game, and he hits about forty percent of them. Uh, in in Troy's biggest win against UT Arlington, um, he scored thirty nine points. And he hit 10 of 15 from three. Now, that game's a little bit of an outlier. <laughs> he doesn't usually score that much. He's usually in the mid-teens, maybe 20. Um, uh, Troy is not a very big team. There's no one on their roster who's over six foot eight. Um, uh, you know, so I, I, I think they're going to have trouble with Duke's size. Uh, I, I could see someone like Harry Giles uh, really having a field day inside. I'm not sure how they'll deal with Emil Jefferson's variety of moves and the such. And they don't have anyone who's going to match up with Jason Tatum. Um, it's just tough for me to see these guys giving Duke much of a game. I think they'll have trouble keeping up with us, and and you know they just don't have the talent that we do. Las Vegas says Duke wins by twenty. I think that's probably about right. Donald, did you? I I don't think you had looked into Troy as deeply as Jason did. And Jason, thank you for that preview. Um, did you want to add anything to what Jason said? First of all, about the about Duke's region in general. Um, and anything other elsewise about the first round matchups. And then once we, once we talk about, about Troy, um, we're going to go ahead. Cause I'm not sure we're going to be able to do a podcast in the event that Duke beats Troy. We'll, we'll go ahead and preview the rest of the pod. Um, but did you have any thoughts on, on all the, on all the items that Jason already touched on? No, I think, I think what Jason said was great about Troy. I, I hadn't really reviewed Troy um, this year. I hadn't seen them play. I played, I've seen a lot of basketball this year and somehow Troy did not, uh, appear uh, on my TV, but that's not, that's really my fault, not Troy's but, fault. Donald, you know what? The, the reason is because this is a team that wasn't supposed to make the NCAA tournament. Right. They, they were Absolutely. not, they're, they're not even a, a, they weren't, you know, lots of time you end up playing a team who was like the best team in their conference and their conference was terrible. And you're like, oh, you know, we don't know, but these guys, they went 25 and five in, in a nothing conference. Mm-hmm. Troy is not that team. Troy, Troy, they were like the number seven seed in their conference tournament. They, they really, they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be here. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, we'll, t- I probably will talk about the rest of the, the, the bracket and how we compare Duke to other teams in the bracket. For instance, I, I'm not mad that we're a number two seed in the East. I'm not mad that we're not a w- one seed in the South. We'll probably would have been in the South if we were the fourth overall number one seed. Um, I am, you know, mad at people who, when they were comparing and saying why Duke shouldn't be a one seed, they were comparing us to North Carolina and we had a better resume, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. I think that we're in a good spot here. Um, One, we're in Greenville, uh, and then we go to the Madison Square Garden, obviously um, a a home court of of sorts for us um, over the years. So I I think we're in a nice situation here. And I think Nova, while being, I, I think, deserving of the overall number one seed, they're not a team that we can't beat. You know, I, I think they're a team that, you know, they're very, very good and, and they do a lot of things well. Um, but I think that we have a good chance to go very, very far here. Um, we have a nice little bracket. It's not a tough bracket, but it's not, uh, when I say tough, it is a tough bracket. These are, they're all great teams, but it's not a murderer's row of a bracket like we've seen in previous years uh, in the NCAA tournament. I think for, for once, we're in a bracket that's pretty reasonable and the fact that we have some great teams, but we're not, you know, stacking the deck here where all the top teams are in one bracket. I think um, we have a good chance to go very far. I think there's no team in this bracket that's 
uh, unbeatable, um, including us. You know, I think we have a, but we have a good chance if we play like we did this week. Ain't nobody stopping us. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree generally with your take. I did watch a little bit of the selection show after they had finished uh, putting out the brackets, and they had the chairman of the of the selection committee on, and they were asking him. Seth Davis was especially asking him about why Duke wasn't considered for, or Duke wasn't a one seed, and he went into some explanation about how Duke wasn't even considered for a one seed, um, that they that they kind of stopped at, 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 at being a two seed because they didn't compare favorably, I, I think, against Arizona, um, which was a, it was a little bit of a weird explanation because, like you said, when you look at Duke and UNC's resumes side by side, um, there's a lot of similarities, I think. Um, certainly, UNC lost one less game. Their ACC regular season um, schedule was a little bit easier than Duke's. I think... It, a little bit, wait, wait, a little bit, a lot a little, of it. It was a lot. I'm being a lot. Easier. I'm certainly being generous, but I, I can I can see you looking at, at Duke and UNC's resumes kind of in a blind way, um, and and concluding that either was was better. Um, but to say to dismiss either of them out of hand doesn't really seem genuine to me. I disagree. Um, the, I disagree. The, wait, wait. I disagree. You, there. Okay. If if you put blindfolds on, if you didn't know the names of the teams. And I showed you their resumes, and you took out conference record, uh, which, which, by the way, Certainly. you should, because conference record is skewed by you know who you played, who you had to play twice, and where you played them. Again, right. this is a good this is a good moment to remind everyone that UNC didn't play on the road, Florida State, Louisville, Notre Dame, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Miami, or Syracuse. I'll repeat that. They didn't play on the road. Florida State, Louisville, Notre Dame, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Miami, or Syracuse. Other than, they played Duke on the road, and they lost. They played Virginia on the road, and they lost. The only team that had a winning, that was even 500 in the ACC, that Carolina beat on the road was Wake Forest. So who's, throw playing, out the, who's playing in a play-in game. Right. right. So throw out the ACC record. If you throw out the conference record, and you look at Duke's, and you blindly look at Duke's record versus Carolina's record, it's not close. Duke has more wins over the, over the RPI top 50, the Pomeroy top 50, the BPI top 50, you name it, than any other team in the tournament. No one has as many wins as Duke does. In I, fact, I say, yo, you know what? You can even throw the conference record in there because that's really the only thing that UNC can claim over us is that they had a better well, record. But even, with, even that has comes with qualifiers, like you said. Yeah, I, Duke has more RPI top 25 wins than UCLA, uh, Arizona. Wait, wait, UCLA, Arizona, and I think Villanova combined. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Arizona I, didn't, Duke, face, didn't face the number of teams that we – they we beat more teams in the top 25 than Arizona even faced this year. Exactly. It's, our schedule was murder, and we played most of these games on the road. With injuries and, yes. and for a month without Coach K. Um, yeah. All right. I think, I'm, I'm happy I think, with I think, I th- I think we. I think everybody Can't knows do. Duke certainly had an, an argument for the number one seed. Um, but that being said, I don't think that Duke ended up in a terrible position here. I think that the, no. the one kind of unfortunate thing about their seeding uh, and that you guys alluded to, Jason, I think in particular, is that Duke has, potentially has to play in the second round against South Carolina in South Carolina. And South Carolina is the is the you know, the, the seven seed or the 10 seed, um, the, the seven seed, excuse me. Um, and that we're playing them in their backyard. And that 
it, it's kind of a bummer given the Duke is the two and the, and the SC is the seven. Um, but overall, I don't think the Duke ended up with, with, you know, demonstrably better teams than their seeds, at least, you know, through the kind of the beginning of the, of the tournament. Baylor has certainly been very talented this year, but it's not like, it's not like Duke isn't capable of beating them. Um, SMU is an interesting opponent. Uh, I think not, you know, in general, they're an interesting opponent, especially because one of their featured players is Shami Ojale, who sort of you, you guys know, and I think most of the listeners would recognize that he, he was a Duke player a few years ago before transferring away. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I think that Duke could have gotten a one seed, and I think that it would have been understandable if they did, but the position they ended up in is not terrible. Um, so, you know, that is what it is. Let's, uh, let's quickly um, talk about the, the two teams that Duke might play in the, in the second weekend. Um, so I, I'll start, and then I'll kick it to Donald. The, the team that I'm going to quickly preview for you is South Carolina. The Gamecocks under Frank Martin went 22-10 uh, and 10 in – overall and they went 12 and 6 in the SEC they were kind of like they were like the lower end of the SEC teams that were capable of making the tournament and there weren't that many of them let's let's keep that in mind when we talk about when we talk about strength of schedule and, and that kind of thing um you know South Carolina had the, the the good teams they played were Kentucky they got killed by them they did beat Florida once um they lost them another time but they had a few kind of bad losses down the stretch they lost to Ole Miss they lost to um they lost to uh, Alabama in the SEC tournament. Neither of those teams is here in the field. Um, they do have uh, sort of quality losses down the stretch against like Van Vanderbilt and Arkansas and Florida, which are totally understandable. Um, but so South Carolina is kind of like a, you know, they're, they're not an elite team, but they're certainly capable of, of beating all the teams they're supposed to beat. I don't think they had any really big signature wins this year. You could, I think Florida is the best one they had. Um, but as I said, the, the one very good team that they played was Kentucky, and they got murdered by them. So um, South Carolina features one really fantastic player um, that it seems like most of the most of the team runs through him, which is Sandarius Thornwell. He's he's a big guard. He's six five, six six. Um, look for Matt Jones, I guess, to be to be put on him. If Matt's not starting, then then Jason Tatum probably draws that assignment because um, Thornwell's a guy. Matt, Matt Matt's going to start. Duke is not going to. Duke is not going to mess yeah. with the like. I, I had a friend who was like, "Hey, do you, after the UNC game when Grayson Allen played, you know, outstanding." I mentioned this earlier. He was like, "Hey, is it is it time to put Allen back in the starting lineup and and you know put Matt Jones on the bench?" I was like, "Duke is not touching the rotation right now. You don't mess with what's working." So, well, so in that case, uh, the interesting thing about the interesting thing about Thornwell is that he's not the biggest guy on the team, but he does lead the team in rebounds. He's rebounding over seven a game um, and scoring twenty one points. There are only two other guys on the team that are scoring in double figures. So it seems like the key to beating South Carolina is containing Thornwell. And in, in their recent games of, like I said, of which they've lost more than they've won. Um, but recently his shooting percentages are not good, but he gets to the line really well. So um, it's about containing him, keeping him out of the lane, keeping him from drawing fouls because he'll take 10 or 12 foul shots a game and he's good at making them. So uh, has a lot of the same qualities that have made Duke really good down the stretch which is drawing contact and, and making foul shots. And I think, you know, I, I don't know that we talk about enough how good Duke has been at making foul shots, particularly um, Luke Kennard and Jason Tatum down the stretch. But, but so the key here against South Carolina is Sandarius Thornwell. Duke needs to be able to contain him uh, if, they're, if they play them in that second round game. And then also keeping in mind, again, that uh, 
the place is probably going to have a lot of South Carolina fans if Duke makes it there. So um, not that the players aren't used to this, you know, the, the one of the challenges for Duke every year that we always talk about it is that even though Duke is, is always good and is always going to, or not always, but usually going to get geographic preference for their uh, opening weekend, that geographic preference comes at the cost of often being placed in the same uh, in the same pod as UNC or in the same location as UNC for UNC's pod. Um, and if not UNC, then there might be Virginia, there might be another another ACC team around. Uh, this year has the added component that not only is North Carolina there, but South Carolina is also there. I'm not sure how much of the South Carolina basketball fans show up for the NCAA tournament. Um, they're certainly not favored to to get out of that weekend and, and make it to the second weekend, but it is in their backyard. And so you expect, you expect plenty of them to show up. Um, that's going to be tough for Duke, but it's not like they're not used to it. Uh, so that's it on South Carolina. Um, uh, Donald, hey, did you hey, want to oh, actually, before yeah. we dispense with them really quick uh, to me, the thing about South Carolina is their defense. Yeah. Um, so, sorry. It, I did. I didn't mean to mention that, but go ahead. If you look at Ken Pomeroy, um, and boy, we you know we can't talk enough about about him uh, about his rankings. Pomeroy has South Carolina as the third best defensive team in the country, number three. Um, now Virginia is number one. We know Virginia is number one. Um, they always are. And and Duke was able to score on Virginia, but uh, scoring on the South Carolina team is a difficult, difficult task. Um, but corresponding with that is they're terrible. Not terrible, but they're not very good on offense. And I think you already already pointed that out. If Duke is able to, uh, you know, use this versatility that we've talked about to score some, South Carolina is not the kind of team that's going to keep up. Um, South Carolina, you know, has to be hoping that that this game is going to be played in the '60s, because um, because yeah, they're, they're they're just South not a team. They're not kind of like they're kind of like the bad version of Virginia, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, like the or or like the stereotype of Virginia, where the offense—it's not just that the offense is slow, but it's also just not good. Yeah, and they're so their two best wins. Um, you mentioned this—they beat Florida. The, you didn't mention the score: fifty-seven to fifty-three. <laughs> yeah, uh, and their second best win was they beat Michigan. Um, the score there was sixty-one to forty-six. Now that was back in early November or mid-November, long time ago. Um, uh, so, you know, they, uh, Michigan's a different team now than they were back then, and, and it's sometimes easier to be good on defense earlier in the year than good on offense. You can sometimes catch offenses that haven't quite caught up to the defenses yet. But um, uh, this, this South Carolina team is a team that wants to keep the score low, and most teams that have tried to do that against Duke have, have struggled somewhat. Uh, Miami did it, um, uh, but there haven't been many others who, who kept the score down. Uh, and and succeeded in keeping Duke down at the same time, so that that's that's you know what I. And by the way, it's worth noting about South Carolina: uh, all their best wins, every single win they have four wins over the RPI top fifty. Every single one of those wins was at home. Well, um, you could you could almost consider this a home game for them. So yeah, uh, and I don't know and how much is, I don't know how much it means. Well, it's not on their home floor. There's a big difference in sure. Yeah, uh, and and there isn't a single one of those wins that came after the calendar turned to February or March. Um, they were better early in the year than they have been lately, uh, and 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 I think they were overseeded. I'm I'm surprised they got a seven. I don't think they quite deserved a seven. I I sort of figured they'd be an eight or a nine. Well, so let 
let's kind of talk about that in the context of their of their first round matchup and our other potential second round opponent. Donald, you had the uh, the Marquette squad that's led by former Duke player and National Defensive Player of the Year and assistant coach Steve Wojciechowski. Uh, what do we know about Marquette? So Marquette has had a ridiculous schedule, and you know they've been up and down all year. They're nineteen and twelve. Uh, they actually finished third, tied for third in the Big East Conference at ten and eight record. Um, got all the way to the semifinals, I want to say, where they lost to Seton Hall. Uh, but they, you know, they're a team that played a lot of great teams and beat some and lose and lost some. So it's it's not a team that you're like, hey, you know, this team is going to fly under the radar. They play tough, and you know, with with Coach Wojo at the at the helm, you don't expect anything less than a team that's going to play tough, even if they're not as good. Uh, defensively. They do allow a lot of points. They allow 75 points a game. They do score uh, 85 points a game. Uh, but the fact that they allow 75 points a game is probably something that needs to be tightened up for them if they want to, if they think they want to advance in the tournament. Uh, they don't rebound well at all. Um, they, they rebound 30, uh, 33 rebounds a game. That's 293rd in the nation out of 351 teams. Um, so that is a that's chance. Bad. That's really <laughs> that bad. bad. I mean, that's that's you know something that will be exposed very quickly. If they cannot rebound, then they are going to have a difficult time at doing anything in the NCAA tournament. Donald, uh, they, are you saying are you saying that Wojo doesn't know how to coach the big men? Uh, I'm saying <laughs> that Wojo may not know how to jump up for a rebound because uh, you know as the Baylor guy said last year, a rebound is when you jump up and you grab the ball and you come down with it. That's right. Um, that's called a rebound, and if you have more of those than the other team. Then that is a that is a good thing. So, uh, uh, shout out to that that dude from Baylor who 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 was that dude from do... Baylor? That was like that's that's like a great a that great was a great line. Yeah, that was a great sparky line. Uh, I don't know who that was, but shout out to that dude. I, he, I don't great know moments in press conferences. Great moments yeah. in press conferences. I'll, I'll look it up. You keep talking. Okay. Um. So, but they do they do distribute the ball very well. They pass the ball around. They average about 17 assists a game, which is 20th in the nation. So what they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to play hard. They're going to pass the ball around. They're going to distribute. They have a lot of guys who play a lot of minutes. They have a lot of guys who score, uh, you know, and, and they can find scoring from anywhere. And I think that is the key um, to Marquette is that they don't quit. They, and they also have seen a big game. You know, they've beaten Creighton twice. They've beaten Villanova. They've beaten Vanderbilt. They've beaten, or, I mean, they've played Michigan, lost very close. They played Pittsburgh, lost very close. They've played Wisconsin and lost very close. They've beaten Seton, or I'm sorry, they lost to Seton Hall twice, including in the tournament, uh, in, the, in the Big East tournament. They've lost to Butler very close. But they, the thing about it is they play all these big teams, the teams that you would expect um, to see in an NCAA tournament on any given year, and especially this year. And they're still, coming up strong and even if they lose they're holding their own against these teams that's probably what the 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 tournament selection committee saw in marquette is that this team will not give up they will not quit and if we end up facing them in the second round um if we if we both advance that far obviously this is going to be a game that's going to be high on wojo's radar it's going to be high on this player's radar because they want to win it for their coach and that's a team that you know you're going to expect to see somebody who plays out of their mind against us um, and I think that is uh, something that, that you should expect from this team uh, throughout the tournament, especially the first weekend. But I think the one key that I want to say about Marquette, the, the final key I'll say, is that this team, when they play big games, they show up. And even if they don't win, they still play all the way to the final whistle 
as you would expect from a Coach Wojo-led team. So that's Marquette. Um, very quick, very simple. These guys are going to come play. And, you know, if we see them in the second round, we got to be able to match their intensity because the intensity is how they get uh, stay close to big games and, and how they've snuck off a couple of big wins. I, I So I before I bring it back to Jason, um, the Baylor player that, whose name we all forgot was Torian Prince, who now plays for Jason's Atlanta Hawks. Yes, um, he does. So... Um, yeah, that was the that was the the Baylor player with the with the clever shout out to Green Prince. That was that's yeah. still amazing. That's still an awesome yeah. quote. Big fan. Um, Jason, anything you wanted to add about Marquette? Uh, I mean, all you really need to know about Marquette is this is a team that has seven wins over the RPI top fifty, and this is a team that beat Villanova. Villanova is you know everyone says unquestionably the number one team in the land. Marquette beat them, um, and and. You know, seven wins of the RPI top 50 is is really impressive. Now, they're a team who struggled a bit down the stretch. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to say they limped into the tournament, but they were only 5-5 five and five in their final 10 games, and they had some bad losses in there. They, they lost to St. John's by 14. They lost to Georgetown by 18. Those are, those are big losses to teams that are not very good. Um, Georgetown and St. John's, neither one of them were in the RPI top 100. Uh, and, uh, and to be honest, I, I think the loss to Seton Hall in the Big East tournament was, was pretty surprising, I think. Uh, most people didn't expect, they didn't expect that to happen. Um, not that Seton Hall was terrible or anything like that, but uh, that, was, that was supposed to be a game that Marquette won and perhaps you know, that would boost Marquette's seed a little bit. Um, I think they fell to a number 10. I think they were, you know, if, they, if they win that game, if they show well in the Big East tournament, I think Marquette probably would be, you know, sitting on an eight line right now. Maybe they would have been a number seven instead of a number 10. But um, once they lost to Seton Hall, I, I will freely say that I, I fully expected them to be, um, you know, the 10 seed the opposite Duke. The committee isn't, they aren't dumb. They know that, you know, getting people excited about a 2-10 game can be difficult. Well, one way to do that is, I mean, Wojo is a very, very, very well-known former Dukey. And, uh, the, the notion of, of matching up um, Coach K against one of his, you know, really beloved former players, former assistant coach, um, is something I'm sure the NCAA committee is somewhat salivating at, um, although I expect it'll be South Carolina that we'll get, uh, partially because of the, the home, home floor advantage that South Carolina seems to have. So we've talked about the pod. Um, we've talked about our region. Let's let's do some general thoughts, and you can you guys can kind of take this any way that you want. Um, I will start with Donald. Looking at the rest of the field, uh, give me some observations. What do you like? What are some interesting teams that you're looking at? Interesting regions, um, and and close out your general thoughts with one or two upset picks that you're looking for uh, in the in that first weekend, or or surprise teams you think that are going to the second weekend. So I think the first one that I was looking at, and of course I'm looking at uh, some of the teams that are near and dear to me, I look at that 8-9 matchup with Miami and Michigan State and say, I'm sure Kansas is like, yo, what, what do we do to deserve that? Because Sparty is obviously a team that has had a down year um, for them, for that program, but they are a team that nobody wants to face in March because they know Izzo uh, is, is a coach that knows how to coach up his players during the NCAA tournament. Um, do I think they'll beat Kansas? No, um, but I think they're going to give, both these teams could give Kansas a run for their money. 
Uh, and I'm pretty sure that Kansas is, is slightly worried about what is uh, to take place in that game, and we're probably scouting that heavily. Um, so I, I think that's number one. Number two, um, I like, I, I, right, I see that Arizona uh, ended up getting the number two seed. I know there was talk about them getting a number one seed over uh, Gonzaga or over UNC or even over us in Kentucky. Um, so I like that they're on the two line um, in the West. I think the West is a pretty reasonable bracket as far as uh, it seems fairly light when you're looking at some of these teams. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of teams that could really get out of that, you know, including Notre Dame, including Florida State. Uh, Gonzaga could go all the way through. Hey, Northwestern's in that bracket. Our, our you know, favorite, you know, podcast favorite Northwestern team could make a run there. Um, you know, Gonzaga's not a team that's unbeatable. Um, and, and Gonzaga, even though with their gaudy record, you know, we've been talking about how, how all year they haven't really faced a lot of great teams. Northwestern's a really good team at an eight seed uh, on the eight line there. Uh, West Virginia is a, is a strong team. They, could, they can make some moves. Maryland has, even though they're streaky, they have a tendency to do well. Uh, and, and you also have Florida State and even St. Mary's could shock some people um, in that bracket. So I look at the West and I say, I don't know who's going to come out of there um, off the first hand. And finally, I guess in the South, you know, UNC, they kind of have an easy, easy road, one of the easier roads uh, of the number one seeds to the uh, Elite Eight, where they could face Kentucky, they could face UCLA. Um, Butler and Minnesota are not really teams that completely impress me. And Arkansas and Seton Hall is probably the weakest of the 8-9 matchups. Um, that I see initially, uh, but I think the one matchup that I'll that I would hope to see uh, in the Sweet 16 would be UCLA and Kentucky. I think that would be a monster uh, matchup between those two teams, and I'm not quite sure yet who I would pick there. Um, but that would be a game that I'd really be interested in seeing. All right, and and give me a give me one or two upsets. Oh, one or two upsets. So uh, I'm looking, and I think Middle Tennessee State. Where are they? They're at the 12 seed over here um, in the South. Uh, against Minnesota. Middle Tennessee State is a team that people have been talking about all year. I've seen them a couple times. Uh, they are pretty strong. Um, they lost in the conference tournament, and I believe they got in um, anyway. But I, I think the the one thing that, that scares me if I'm Minnesota is that Middle Tennessee State has played a couple of tough teams. They had one of the strongest non-conference schedules in the country and held their own against them, So uh, against those teams. So I, I would look at Middle Tennessee State um, Marquette, I'm looking at it. That's a slight upset, um, obviously. And then Princeton. Princeton has a chance to do something against Notre Dame um, in the 5-12 over in the West. Uh, Notre Dame, we all know, is very strong, and I- I'm not necessarily saying that I'm going to pick Princeton over Notre Dame, but if that upset happens, I'm definitely not shocked because Princeton is a pretty strong team. All right. Jason, um, general thoughts on the bracket. Well, first of all, Donald stole one of my upsets, uh, Middle Tennessee over Minnesota. Um, so I, I, I was looking to see who were teams that, according to Ken Pomeroy, according to Pomeroy's rankings, who are teams that, that you know, got seated really improperly? Uh, you know, who, who got, who, who was seated way too high or who was I seated? I fear, hold on, before you, before you get to it, I think you're about to steal one of mine, so go for it. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll continue the order I was going, which is going to be teams that got seated too too high. But when I get to the team that got seated too low, I'm sure I'm going to talk about what you're talking. I, I bet we're yeah. going to talk about the same thing. Do it, Wichita State. Wichita State. Oh right? yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about Wichita State in a second. But teams who got seated too high, um, 
probably the most overrated team in the entire bracket is Minnesota, who got a number five seed. And I can't figure out how or why. I'm not sure what the committee was looking at. Pomeroy has them number 33, which means they should have been a number nine. There's a huge difference of being a number five and a number nine. Now, it's not that Middle Tennessee is great, but I think that Minnesota is tremendously overrated. I don't think the Big Ten is all that good. To, to me, the only Big Ten, Ten team that I'm probably going to pick to make the Sweet 16 is Purdue. Um, in fact, yeah, I, I can tell you, there's, there would be no other Big Ten teams in my Sweet 16 other than Purdue. The Big Ten is just not that good. So here's Minnesota, who I don't even think they were the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten, maybe barely. Um, and I, I think they're way overrated at number five. So I definitely like Middle Tennessee there. The other team that's really overrated, Big Ten again, Maryland got a number six. How did Maryland get a number six seed? That's crazy. They are number 45 in Pomeroy. They should have been a 12 seed, according to Ken Pomeroy. In fact, they shouldn't have made the tournament, according to Ken Pomeroy. Um, there are three or four teams rated higher in Pomeroy's rankings that didn't get at-large bids. And by the way, do you guys know the highest rated team that did not get an at-large bid? Clemson Tigers. Clemson. Clemson Tigers. They're number 35 in Pomeroy. Didn't, and, and look, everyone knew Clemson wasn't going to get a bid. That's not that surprising. But... Pomeroy would tell you that Maryland didn't deserve to get a bid, you know, and, and so I would love Xavier um, or I would love whoever was playing Maryland. Uh, I, I don't I don't think Xavier is that great, but I'm probably going to pick that that upset. Um, and then the other upset I really like and I hate to do it. I hate to even say it. I feel like the ACC got some terrible, awful first round matchups. Uh, UNC Wilmington. If you're looking for a 12-5 UNC Wilmington, this is basically the same team, come, you know, back for UNC Wilmington that played Duke um, last year. Uh, they're, they're, they're a pretty solid club, and um, I, I, I think UNC Wilmington will have a definite shot. They are, they are senior-laden. Everybody on that team is a senior. Um, so I like that one. And then the last upset is uh, I, I like Rhode Island against Creighton. Um, I don't love them. I'm not certain I'm going to take them, but that's, that's one that I think could be a – could be a good choice. But I, I would, in general, I would probably pick against the Big Ten, and you'll do well picking against the Big Ten. And then let's get to the most ridiculously underrated team uh, in the bracket, which is Wichita State. Um, Wichita State is a 10 seed. That's absurd. That's crazy. Pomeroy says they're the number eight team in the country. He thinks they should have been a two seed. He thinks they should have been higher, seeded higher than Duke. Um, now, I don't know about that. I think that his, you know, there's some flaws there that have, uh, elevated Wichita State, but there's no way they deserve to be a 10. In fact, li- when you were listening last night to the ACC final, um, uh, the ACC broadcast, Jay Billis was talking about Wichita State at one point, and he said, you know, I think Wichita State's going to get about an eight seed or maybe even a nine seed. He said, that's, you know, that's tr- tremendously unfair to a poor number one seed who's going to have to play them in the second round. He said, you know, this, this Wichita State team is for sure a top 25 team, and I think Jay Billis felt they should get more like, you know, maybe a five or a six seed. Instead, they're sitting as a number 10. Um, I think they absolutely take care of Dayton. And if they weren't facing Kentucky, uh, you know, a really, really strong team, um, uh, you know, I would, I would be very tempted to take Wichita State to make the Sweet 16 and maybe even beyond. They, they are a team that is criminally underseated, and we may never get to see it because they have to play Kentucky in the second round. And then the last thing I wanted to note really quickly about the brackets is um, – Kentucky has a really interesting road 
you know, you mentioned UCLA and UNC. I mean, uh, you know, talk about three blue bloods, Kentucky, UNC, and UCLA. Uh, it doesn't get more blue-blooded than that. You know, Kansas and Duke are the only other teams that are sort of in the same paragraph with those three teams in terms of, uh, you know, tradition and and being, you know, dominant in the NCAA tournament and such. Kentucky has already played both UCLA and UNC. And I usually don't like regular season rematches in the NCAA tournament. You like to see teams playing each other for the first time, but but they <coughs> each played really good, really exciting, great games um, you know, remember Kentucky beat North Carolina 103 to 100. I mean, what a game was that? And then um, uh, Kentucky lost to UCLA 97 to 92. I mean, those were both great games. Now, they were played back in December, but, you know, we can still remember these games. And I am salivating over the thought of that South region and Kentucky having a Sweet 16 matchup against UCLA and then a Final 8 matchup against UNC. And by the way, I think UNC is going to waltz to the Final 8. There's, I don't see anyone in their bracket, in their, you know, whatever quarter, half of the bracket, who's going to stop them from making the Final 8. So that's my, so, my overall bracket thought. You guys, you guys, you know, mentioned, I think, a lot of the things that I would have said. And certainly we come from similar perspectives because we watch a lot of Duke and we watch a lot of ACC and we have our biases. Um, the first upset that I wanted to highlight was the one that Jason already mentioned as I, as I thought he was going to, which was Wichita over Kentucky. Um, and as you said, Kentucky has a tough road and, and it could, it could end there in the second round. Uh, and they might have to play Wichita, a top 15 ish team, UCLA, a top 15 ish team and UNC, a top five ish team, um, to get, to get to the final four. And that, hey, that's hey, it. Hey, hey, jump in really quick. Let, let me ask you, Sam, who do you think yeah. is you know, of the top, top, top seeds, what team do you think is the most upset about their draw? I think it might be Kentucky, but it may be Villanova. I think Villanova's really mad that they got Duke and that they got yeah, Wisconsin. Absolutely. Villanova, to me, their second round is Wisconsin. Their third round is either Virginia or Florida, and then they probably have to go through Duke. If I'm Villanova defending champion in the overall number one seed, I'm like, really? really? That's what you gave me? Because uh, uh, I'll tell you that uh, I think Wisconsin's the best of the eight seeds. I think Virginia is the best of the five seeds, and I think Florida is probably the best of the four seeds. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that I, think that I, would, I would pick Kentucky's route um, to be a little harder just because of that Wichita game that's in there and that, um, you know, that, that those other teams that are going to play are familiar with them, um, which, which doesn't help when you're, when you're kind of the favorite, that, that teams have already gotten a crack at you. Um, so I, I, I don't love that, that, um, that region for Kentucky. Um, if you're just talking about one seeds, yeah, it is probably Villanova. Um, Gonzaga, I think, has a reasonable bracket, um, and and I I think that this might actually be the year that they finally get to the Final Four. The other um, upset pick that I wanted to to throw out there was one that Jason already already told me he's not specifically picking, um, which is the uh, Vermont Catamounts over the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, you know, I. I, I will fully admit that I am I am biased against the Big Ten. I think that the the conference showed this year that it was really up and down. There weren't a lot of great teams. I'm not picking any of them to go to the second weekend. Um, and I had and I watched a little bit of the Catamounts in their um, in their conference tournament championship against Albany uh, because that's what you do during during conference tournament week. Um, <laughs> and I like their poise. Um, and and I'm interested. I, I think that that Vermont can can beat that Purdue team. Um, so that so give me that one. 
Um, otherwise, the, the the one last observation I wanted to make is that on the show last, I'll brag a little bit. On the show last week, um, Jason promised me that the ACC was getting ten teams into the tournament, and I said no. I I still think it's going to be nine because um, I just I I see the cannibalization happening, and Syracuse barely didn't make it into the tournament. Um, the ACC got nine teams in. So um, shout out to me for predicting that correctly. Um, before we before we conclude here, let's uh, let's do just quick final four picks. Um, so I don't know if you guys have your final four picks from the beginning of the season. I have mine up, um, and I wanted to kind of compare to what I had picked before. So my original final four, uh, we the the stipulation we did at the beginning of the season was you got to pick Duke and then pick three other teams. So I picked at the beginning of the season, I picked Duke, Oregon, Virginia, and Kentucky. Uh, I'm going to stick with Duke and Oregon. I can't take Virginia because they're, they're in the same region as Duke. Um, and I could keep Kentucky, but I really want that Wichita uh, upset to happen. So give me Wichita, give me Duke, give me Oregon, and then in the West region, give me Gonzaga. Um, so I got a I got a funny looking Final Four, and I don't think I'm going to be right. But hey, it's 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 more fun to be fun than it is to be right. Um, dude, dude, Donald, did what's you your? Just, did you just take Wichita State to make the Final yes, Four? I did. I, I, I love did. it. If it happens, right. you can make some serious money. <laughs> All right, Donald, tell me your Final Four. Okay, I reserve the right to change this in my brackets. That oh I yeah submit, yeah so. we can, right. I should have said we're we're saying these things now on Sunday night. Um, none of the bracket games that anybody plays are are locked until Thursday morning. Absolutely. So, um, so that those are my picks now. Um, I absolutely reserve the right to go back on Wichita and pick a more conventional UNC, Kentucky, or UCLA to go to the Final Four out of that region. But so with that, and and we'll we'll certainly make these these picks public. I think that uh, we will be doing a, a DBR users uh, bracket game again, right? We must be. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I think, so, I ha- I think so, that's my job to set that up. I'll, I'll do that. So, yeah, so Donald will set that up, and everyone everyone should go in there and play. Make sure you find it from the uh, from the forum thread. Um, look for look for Donald's post about the uh, DBR bracket challenge, and because I know that we'll all be playing. Um, but yeah, and, so Donald. And, and by the way, by the way, we get a couple thousand people that listen to this podcast, um, which is great. H- how on earth we've got to be able to get a couple hundred into a bracket challenge? People, if you're listening. Go go to the DBR forum and join the bracket challenge. It don't it'll pretend. be more fun if there are a lot of people involved. We got to get a couple don't, hundred in the bracket challenge. It's, it's three ninety nine too, like free ninety nine. That is the best price on earth. And and don't pretend that you're listening to a podcast about Duke basketball and that you're not already filling out brackets. Right. right. I mean. <laughs> right. Right. Or at least <laughs> at least scouring scouring the internet for for. I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be rude to any of our listeners, but. None of y'all are cool enough to not be filling out brackets. Uh, we're, we're, hey, we're, we're almost an hour, and, we're an hour and 14 minutes into this podcast. If you're still listening, you filled out a bracket. Yeah, get, <laughs> you know, yeah, you filled out yeah. a bracket. Upload your bracket to the DBR Challenge. Donald, give me your final four. Okay, so before the season started, I said my, my final four would be Duke, Kansas, UVA, and Louisville. Uh, and the reason why I don't have Louisville in my final four is because there's Kansas in there. So um, the, the, what I have as of right now, and this is an hour or two after the, pick, after the selection show, I have Duke, I have Kansas, I have Arizona, and I have UCLA. I don't think I'm going to stick with two Pac-12 teams in the final four. Um, I think one of them might make it. I'm not quite sure which one it's going to be between Arizona and UCLA, but that's what I have as of right now. Guys, I don't remember. 
who I who, who were do you guys remember who I picked for my final four? If you if you start vamping, I can uh no, you know what? I don't think I wrote yours down. Um but yeah, I didn't either. I'm, sorry. I'm pretty sure I had I'm sure I had Duke. I'm pretty sure I had Virginia. Um I think you had Kansas. I probably had Kansas and I don't know who I had for my last one. Kentucky. No. Do you think I, I might have had Kentucky? Do you think I could No. That would be awful if I did that. That's like, you know, four of the top 5, you know, preseason teams. I hope I didn't do that. So, my my current final four and like you said, I reserve the right to change. Um of course I'm picking Duke. We're all picking Duke and it's not just because I'm a homer. It's because I think they actually um deserve to be there. Uh because they're playing, you know, as good as anybody in the country. Um out west uh, God, there's a piece of me that wants to take Notre Dame. I really think Notre Dame played pretty nicely. Um, and there's a piece of me that wants to take Florida State because I've watched the ACC so much. But this is finally Gonzaga's year. Gonzaga plays uh, great team ball. They play great defense. So I'm going to take Gonzaga out west. Um, in the Midwest, uh, I, I, I am going with another ACC team. I'm going to go with Louisville. I, I, I really like you know their intensity. Um, and you're going to hate me. I mean... I, I kind of see Carolina coming out of the South. So you got three ACC teams, which is I, what I was thinking of at the beginning of the season. Um, yeah, I, I had UNC, but I, 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 I think I have to take Carolina coming out of that South. And and the major reason is, as I look at the top half of the South, as I said, I I, I don't see anybody. Maybe, maybe, maybe Butler, maybe, but I don't see anybody Butler, who's going to Carolina Butler that much. Is capable of beating good teams, but they also are capable of losing to anybody else. So yeah, yeah, you got to think that they're going to beat them on that day and that they're going to make it there. Right. Right. And I'm not entirely convinced that's going to happen. So, I, I, I mean, I think, like I said, I think Carolina's got a waltz to the final eight. And I think they'll face a tough team there. They're going to, I think they'll get, it'll be either UCLA or Kentucky, both of whom are or very, Wichita, very good. Or Wichita, Jason. Or Wichita, yeah. All, all three of them. Don't sleep are, on the Shockers. I, I hear you. They're absolutely capable of beating Carolina, any one of those teams. But odds are Carolina makes it. So... That's that's my final four. All the picks are reasonable. I might have the least reasonable of them, so and I'm okay with that. So let's move on to our. We'll we'll conclude with our player of the week and parting shots. We can do player of the week really quick because um, we had it was basically just the ACC tournament. So Jason, who's your player of the week? Twenty-two points per game, seven and a half rebounds per game. He hit eighty-five percent of his free throws. He was only 20% on his three-pointers, only three of 15 on three-pointers, but hit 66% of his two-pointers. I'm taking Jason Tatum, and I won't be at all surprised if you guys both agree with me. Donald? Uh, with all respect due to how Grayson Allen played, with all respect due to how Luke Kennard played, I, too, am going with Jason Tatum for everything that Jason just said. Give me, give me Harry Giles for his block and... and alley-oop dunk at the other end because um, you know he certainly wasn't as good as jason tatum but um these awards don't mean anything anyway so I, I, Harry Giles. I, way, I, I want you to know I, i've coined a hashtag that, okay uh, not that i've used it any place but i started ta- <laughs> I started saying it to my son um as we were watching especially um the the notre dame game down the stretch i just started screaming tatum time tatum time i i feel like when duke needs a big play um that uh, they're more and more looking to Jason Tatum and that he tends to make those plays. The, 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 the play where he 
block the shot, grab the rebound against Notre Dame, and then sort of started coming up court. And I was like, oh, they're not going to stop him. He wasn't even going that fast. He was sort of feeling things out. But he went, yeah, no, no one, no one on this court is as good as I am, so I'm just going to go all the way to the hole and score. And, uh, I, I, you know, it came in the final three minutes against, against Notre Dame. Uh, to me, that was a play where I was like, that's Tatum time, and that's a play where there, there aren't, there are just aren't that many guys in the country. There may not be any other guys in the country that can do some of the things he started to do. Yeah, no, that it's. A, but you go with I, Harry I like it. You go with Harry. Yeah. A fine pick. <laughs> a fine pick. I, 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 hey, you know, we said this earlier in the year. If Duke wins the national, we earlier in the year we said, hey, if Duke goes two and zero this week, the player of the week next week is going to be Harry Giles. Now, that that was the week that Duke went zero and two against Louisville and Florida State. And Harry Giles did not play well. If Duke wins the NCAA title, we may be ta- sitting here talking about Harry Giles as the player of the tournament. I agree, and I, I look forward to that. Um, so, and I'll and I'll also go. give a, a a small shout out very quickly to the coaching staff because this is the first team that's ever gone four games in four days to win the ACC tournament. It's the first five seed to win the, the ACC tournament, the lowest seed ever. Uh, that is, you know, you cannot go through that without having great coaching. And throughout the way, the teams that we played, those coaches made point to highlight how they were outcoached by Coach K and his coaching staff. So shout out to them. Let's finish with parting shots. Um, Jason, do you have a parting shot for this week? Uh, my parting shot harkens back to the game against Carolina uh, that Duke won in the ACC tournament. And it was remarked that uh, following that game that Duke has won six straight games against UNC in the ACC tournament, going back all the way to 1998. So to put that in perspective, I've got a son in college. I've got another son who is a senior in high school. Neither one of them can even come close to remembering. One of them wasn't even born. The last time UNC beat Duke in an ACC tournament game, 1998. I think most of us were still using CompuServe as the way we got on the internet back in 1998. In fact, most of us weren't on the internet back in 1998. Uh, there was AOL back then. Okay. Oh yeah, I was on. I was. I think that might have been. That, that was, was around AOL. the first year. Yeah, yeah that was, was right around AOL. when I signed up for AOL. But I was also in elementary school then. So. Yeah, um, you, you probably had a MySpace page. No, I I I, I missed MySpace. Um, but I, <laughs> well, but I definitely, uh, I definitely had my, my AOL instant messenger, um, that, uh, that I still use as my login for a lot of things. So it has been go. 18 years there. Here, here, here's the way to say it. There is no one who played in the ACC tournament this year who can remember UNC beating Duke in an ACC tournament. Pretty great. That's my, I like shot. it. All right. And we should keep it that way. Uh, so mine is actually one about perseverance and about being blessed. And uh, it, it's about the Michigan basketball team. Of course, every guy knows I'm from Michigan. I grew up a Michigan fan. So they're one of the teams that I kind of watch out for. Um, on Wednesday, if you guys have not heard the story, uh, you probably have been living under a rock and not watching any sort of basketball. Uh, their plane was blown off the runway when they were trying to take off to come here to Washington, D.C. for the Big Ten tournament. Um, and their plane veered off the runway, uh, was blown off into uh, a ditch. Um, everybody, fortunately, was A-OK, um, but they had to fly out the morning of their first game in the, in the Big Ten tournament without their uniforms, which were still on the plane and subject to a government uh, investigation about the crash, and played the first game in the, in the Big Ten tournament in their practice uniforms. They won that game. 
Finally, they were able to get their luggage and proceeded to win not one, not two, but three more games to go four for four here in D.C. and win the Big Ten championship. That is ultimate perseverance. That is, you know, a team really sticking to uh, each other and and coming together at a time that was very difficult. Um, They said the most difficult part of the weekend was having to get on the second plane uh, to get to get here to D.C. to play uh, in the Big Ten tournament. I think that's amazing uh, and probably the story of the month so far, other than the fact that we're about to have the NCAA tournament. Congratulations to the Michigan Wolverines, uh, a team that I, I really support uh, when they're not playing Duke. And, and that is something that, you know, obviously we don't wish for anyone to be in a playing situation like that or, or, or worse, uh, but they learned how to really come together and use that uh, to spur them to, to victory. So congratulations to them for an incredible uh, show of perseverance in the Big Ten tournament. And I'm going to wrap it up by telling you that I'm going to take superstitious credit for the UNC victory on Friday night. I was watching at home. Um, I So normally when I watch games, uh, I stream them on the ESPN app and send them to the Chromecast on my television. And um, the internet in my apartment went out during the second half. And so I have my my devices are all hooked up to the main internet in the apartment, but I also am hooked up to another internet source, or I, at least I can access another, someone else's modem in the, in the building. Um, so that one kicked in, but unfortunately when that happens, I can't use the Chromecast anymore. So it, it jumped off the Chromecast and back onto my tablet. And that was right around the moment in the second half when Duke like caught fire and, 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 and started running away from UNC. Um, so I said, once the once my main internet came back on, I said, all right, I'm not going to switch it back. I'm going to continue watching the game on my tiny screen and not on my big screen. Um, and because of that, Duke ended up beating UNC by 10 points. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think I, that's great. I, I, th- I think you're stealing internet from someone else, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you do it. Hey, you do what you need to do. It's, no, it's, right? the, uh, it, it's, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those Xfinity Wi-Fi internets that I think is just open. Uh, and because I have an Xfinity account, I can connect to it. Yeah. Um, so it might not belong okay. to somebody. It might just be like in the neighborhood. Um, okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I think whatever superstitious thing that happens that, that allows us to beat UNC, I am a hundred percent in favor of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm not breaking any major laws to my knowledge. <laughs> um, well, you're not breaking knowledge. any, you're not breaking any laws just in case, because you know, we are recording this, so I don't want you to, you know, incriminate yourself. He pleads the fifth. Everybody, yeah. I, the Xfinity police are coming. The yeah, Xfinity police are going to come get you. I ain't worried about it. I got Donald, my lawyer. Um, <laughs> right. So, so with that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. We did a nice long episode for you here. We'll be back. Um, I think after the the first weekend um, to to talk about what happened there. Hopefully, we're talking about we're previewing more games for you that Duke is going to be playing in. Um, but until then, um, for Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This was episode 75 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, good luck to the Devils in the tournament and Duke Band. Take us home.